0: Welcome to Sound and Vision
1: Conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred Dan Walsh is a painter, printmaker and bookmaker based out of New York He received his BFA from the Philadelphia College of Art and his MFA from Hunter College. He's had over 30 solo shows, including international exhibits and museum shows. He's shown at PS1, the Royal Academy in London, the New Museum, and was in the 2014 Whitney Biennial. His work has been reviewed in Art Forum, Art News, Art in America, and just about every other art publication. His track record is just too long to capture here. His current show is up at Paula Cooper Gallery on 21st Street in Chelsea, and that's where I met up with Dan to talk about his old days in Williamsburg, his electrician skills, and his current work up now. Here's our conversation.
0: Dad went to Villanova University, so uh, I guess that's why he settled in, the, in that area. And,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. What did your parents do? Uh,
0: my dad was a life insurance salesman, mm-hmm. and my mother was uh, she was a model early, but uh, but uh, just a mother. You yeah. Know, homemaker. And mm-hmm. did
1: you live close to the city, like in the city, or? Were no, uh, uh,
0: I don't know if you're familiar with it. People from Philadelphia would know the main line. There's a there's a string of towns for. Uh, Starting from the western, west uh, Philly, where University of Penn is. Yeah. And they run out, and it's about 15 miles outside of, away yeah. from there. So, Dead your, west.
1: Yeah. your parents weren't necessarily creative as far as their occupation, but
0: uh, were, they, no, no.
1: were they creative individuals? Like, where did art come into your Not, life? Uh,
0: well, certainly, this, we uh, agreed that through my mother's side, my mother's mother and my mother's sister was an artist, my mother's. Mother was very creative, so mm-hmm. we we're certainly not mm-hmm. from my dad's side. We've all agreed. <laughs> so, uh, now did, um, it, did yeah you, yeah, and um, she was um, my mother's sister was uh, definitely an influence on me and yeah. uh, and um, helping me uh, uh, whatever supporting me.
1: Yeah, did you have a good art teacher in, in high school or?
0: Uh, I mean, Philly's an art, not, arts town. You know what I mean. There's uh, a lot of- yeah, yeah. Uh, in high school not particularly cuz i went to this uh, private school that w- there were cookie cutter you know uh, you know uh, bankers and yeah. stuff like this but but it was there and i got to do it and and uh but i didn't think that much of it until i got to college i went to new uh this small dinky college called uh, new england college in Henniker, new hampshire mm-hmm. not far from Marlboro, and uh, on the same road i think is... Um, the it's name of like fancy college in uh, Brattleboro. Um, Bennington. Bennington, yeah. Yeah. Um, How'd you find out about that uh, school? Because uh, I there? wanted to, I know this sounds funny, but I wanted to study forestry management. Forestry then, management? Yeah, and they had, you know, just uh, just hang out with the trees. And, yeah. And, and, you know, <laughs> right. you can imagine. Um, yeah, but I was, I, I could... I definitely say that I was kind of a lost soul at the time yeah. but uh, but I was always good at art and took some art classes and the and the teachers there the art teacher teachers there said uh, when I made my first oil painting and it was you know some still life with a bunch of reflective they said is this how long have you been painting i said uh, this is my first painting you know of course i drew yeah Said well, we think we all agree. You got to g- get yourself to an art school. So we use the next year to develop a uh, portfolio.
1: Wow, they did that. They saw that. And yeah, that's great.
0: And so that was um, like any young person who wants to be good at something and wants people to appreciate something that they do. Uh, so that's why I did and uh, went to Philadelphia College of Art. So I lost a year in the translation, but. Uh, but that's where the good teachers were. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Well, you had to go to Vermont to
0: find. Uh, New Hampshire. Yeah. To, or mm-hmm. New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: To get back yeah, to. Yeah. Philly. So uh, uh,
0: wasn't bad. Wasn't bad at all. Cool. Uh, I like that area of the country. Jim.
1: Yeah. It's you know, amazing.
0: New Hampshire, Vermont.
1: Yeah. yeah. So when you got back, you went full on into art.
0: Yeah, and all this, all of a sudden, I was interested and uh, engaged, and I met some really great people that we we're. Uh, friends with right away and really and we had this little group and put on our own shows and very dynamic cool people really talented yeah and that was a real inspiration too so it was it was perfect
1: and uh, what time was this around like what years
0: uh this would have been set uh, this would have been 80 to 83 mm-hmm. yeah and we and we got our own loft down you know fix um, you know a real rat hole but we got we had our own loft and studios and um you know so we had a studio in the college but we also had our own so oh, you had
1: two studios yeah
0: basically. and um uh six in bainbridge i don't know if you know philadelphia i don't know it well so it's near uh, south street area yeah what they call so uh and and back then you know of course it was really cheap and um all these towns have changed so much but um, it was really exciting time. Yeah, really cool. And and you know we listened to a lot of, and then I'm, you know I'm I was your typical Neil Young, listen to Neil Young and the Beatles and well I liked Bowie by that time. But um, then I was exposed to punk rock uh, mm-hmm. and and all these cool bands and we were go to shows all the time and there were quite a few clubs there by that time, in the uh, early eighties. Yeah, um, so we had all kinds of fun and did some uh, pretty interesting had some really cool drug experiences and yeah. stuff like this and
1: was it a punk um, scene in Philly was oh, it pretty definitely, vibrant yeah but, and it was like the south street area No, uh, that
0: always no, seem it was to a, be an east side area? club was on um, it wasn't there necessarily but mm-hmm. but there was this one place where i remember the ramones played uh, i can't it's just too long ago did but, you see it you saw the show no i did not oh. see that show uh, but i saw bad brains and uh, the um, marquee, uh, the fall, you know yeah. things like this. Yeah, that was it was, and this was all because of my buddies uh, had been r- into it already, but don't forget that um, you're talking to the wrong person about you know that kind of music, but uh, but everyone tells you that it was already over by '78. Right. Yeah. you know that's what the aficionados say. You know, right. I don't know. Do you agree? But, but it was still like, great for me. I mean, I yeah. was totally into it. Uh, but there were some clubs on right on uh, Broad Street. And, uh, and there was one on South Street. But, uh, yeah. So, so you were... Had some great, great times. Yeah. Really fun.
1: And were you there... You were there four years probably for school? No,
0: in this case, three. Because oh, I had... shipped away at the... Because so, I didn't want to take out another student loan. You yeah. know, another year. So I got through two years up in New Hampshire and then three in the Philly. And that got me my degree
1: you put the credits you were able yeah to, uh, i was
0: able to get a few credits more yeah. credits transferred you know they're not going to admit a uh you know of a uh a um, you know the study of conifers right you know, you know 101 <laughs> you know. don't count to a yeah. liberal arts degree <laughs> <laughs> so uh but um and then And then I I certainly said, oh, I must go to grad school, and maybe I'll be a teacher. Mm -hmm. You know, we were just talking about that. Uh, Maybe be a teacher, but hell if I'm not going to go up to New York and at least say I've been there.
1: So you thought you were going to do that first?
0: I thought I'd go to New York, get my degree, and then end up in Iowa somewhere at some college teaching. You know, It's just... um, But of course... We all know about New York and how it sucks you in, and yeah. and you uh, get into it and can't afford to leave it, you know, yeah. things like this. So, uh,
1: so you just moved to New York after you y- graduated? Yep,
0: moved to Williamsburg.
1: And what year was this?
0: That would have been August 83.
1: Okay, so the first time I went to Williamsburg, I think, was 92 or 93, mm-hmm. and it was a little... Rough around the edges, right, right. What's the eighty? What's the eighty-three <laughs> version of that?
0: Uh, there is squalor.
1: I just picture like burning trash cans.
0: Yeah, it was empty. A lot of drugs around. A lot of uh, uh there was some major heroin trafficking going yeah. on. and but they had the cops had managed it to a few blocks. But, but it, I, I have to admit, I was um, I had lived in Philadelphia for three uh, some years, and I was feeling insecure yeah, about it's rough. what was going it's on. Yeah, it's rough there. Yeah. And then people in Williamsburg will get a kick out of this. Um, I didn't even know the L train existed. <laughs> I was down under the Williams. Uh, was the, uh, by the J M Z right? I was so you, by,
1: by the J M Z line. You were down. Yeah, by the uh,
0: I was near the Domino Sugar Sugar mm-hmm. Factory. Yeah, and I would go to the J M Z, and that that was you know. So finding the L was like, yeah, this work, this is great. Yeah, but uh, but uh, you know, you just scramble, but it was cheap. And a year later, uh, got a loft at Grand and Roebling, mm-hmm. which was one of my favorite places—an uh, old sweatshop—and we renovated it. And
1: was that the one on the? It would be the southeast corner, the red brick one.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. uh, with a, this really big cornice, but it's yeah. not very tall. Yeah, yeah that I was know. a that was a floor through fifty by a hundred, five thousand square feet, eight hundred dollars a yeah. month rent. Oh. Can you imagine, but we built like, it out. We built it out that first, and then they. It was they just re, raw, right? Yeah, it was just open. Yeah, and uh, really oily f- floors from all the um, yeah. from all the uh, sewing machines. But that's the good old days where right. you could you could approach any landlord and they had to have these empty buildings like, yeah, go ahead, occupy yeah. it, uh, f- yeah. fix it up. But I got to keep the fixtures. You know, that was the deal. Yeah, and um, so handy people like me and. Uh, and there were many of them, because whoever was attracted to these tough areas tended to be kind of handy or have resources. Uh, yeah. And certain will, I guess. Uh, uh, you know, we, we did spend a lot of time fixing things, but but it was a great time to uh, for a young artist. Compared to today, uh, you know, everyone's talking about how it's so hard to find anything. Yeah,
1: any spaces, yeah. totally. It's a different situation
0: and it was just a, a 15 minute ride on the L end of town that's oh, yeah. why I can't believe it took so long for the I know, for it's, Williamsburg to come around I know?
1: always wondered that like today when you see it and you think why obviously it's not going to be as gentrified or as mall like as it is today you know right, but right. how it took so long for it
0: to I know. It's
1: it's unbelievable because it is so close to the city. Even the waterfront there, yeah, yeah, was just so decrepit for so long, and now it's finally parks and you know
0: right. And, and yeah, up. there was this um, mass sigh of, about fifteen years ago. It's like oh, Williamsburg is going down the tubes, and I was saying, well, at least it's safe for goodness sakes. Yeah. But the tragedy for me is the skyline. It used to be really just all low buildings, yep. and you could see all of Manhattan. I could see the Chrysler Building and the Williamsburg Bridge from my studio. Yeah, not anymore. Not anymore. There's just buildings popping up, and uh, yeah, once they rezoned it. For me, that that yeah, for me that was the the painful part of the of uh, the turn.
1: Yeah, you know? the visual side of it. You,
0: you'd walk; it was really open, spatial. And, and by the way, uh, people don't know this maybe, but Williamsburg was a very complex um, before the artists moved in. Art types, and. Uh, but it was a it was a um, a point a meeting point of, of four different uh, neighborhoods: mm-hmm. the Hasidic on the south, mm-hmm. the Italians on the east, the Italian section, Puerto and Rican. then the and the Puerto Rican Latino right yeah. there, and then the Polish from the north. Right. You know, yeah. And so it made for a very diverse, interesting, and you know, all things considered, it wasn't. I wouldn't call it dangerous. There was just there was just some weird times where yeah. there was gangs going at it, you know, for the drugs and stuff. Yeah, but uh, it, was, it was kind of an interesting place back in, you know, around ninety. Yeah, yeah, where it wasn't the edge right. was taken off a little bit, but it still had its diversity and yeah. So people forget about that. But
1: uh, well, Grand and Roebling at that time was there anything besides bodegas?
0: You know, uh, there's, as
1: far as, like, resources or food, I mean, what was...
0: No, what was there the was these, behind? you know, a nasty, like, uh, food town back then was, you know, you didn't even go in there. Yeah. You would shop in town and drag it all back. Right. But no, there wasn't, there wasn't much. Yeah. But you could see, you could see there was some buildings being, um, you know, fixed up right. and a and a pop-up restaurant, some idealistic young couple might open a restaurant that might live for a year. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the the one restaurant that, I forget the timing, but Osnot's yeah, issue was Yeah, I remember yeah. Now that was, you know, they hung it out there, and then people started coming because it was the only game in town besides right, right across this, uh, what's the name of that bar called uh, Teddy's? Teddy's, that yeah. That was yeah. always there. So yep. Teddy's was always a watering hole for the artist types and stuff like this. But um, But yeah, there was, and then now... There's just like four restaurants a block.
1: <laughs> I moved to uh, Grand and Havemeyer. Uh, oh, early, okay, so that's right down the street yeah. from. And mm-hmm. in Great. Two thousand, I think it was.
0: Okay. So Are you in one of those big white ones, uh, cast?
1: No, I was in a small building that was catty to the old ballroom dancing building, mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is now like a Lodge. That restaurant. And uh-huh. There's Atlas Coffee Shop, but I was, um, I moved in there, and I remember the only thing there was just a Stinger Bar. It was called the Stinger that was in between Roebling and Havemeyer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then Iona's was another Irish pub.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. But that was pretty much it. Well, uh, that's true. Iona's been there for a while.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by the yeah. time I moved out of there, you could eat around the world, basically, within two blocks. <laughs> you know what I mean? There were restaurants yeah, yeah. from all over. It was, it was pretty. I mean, that part I didn't complain about. The rent going up was tough, but it was right. nice to be able to have some culinary choices. Yeah. But I had a neighbor who moved out, one day, he was Puerto Rican, and he um, he just said he's moving out. And I was like, why Why are you moving? He's like, I sold my building for, like, a mil." this was back in the early 2000s, for a million, I'm going back to Puerto Rico, and I'm going to live like a king, <laughs> basically. Oh, and he didn't seem bummed out about it, but, right. you know, that's, the, I think that was the time where the neighborhood was really starting to, to change mm-hmm. when the real estate was coming in. But, yeah, yeah and all those studio buildings, not studios anymore. You know. Yep. Yeah much further out I guess.
0: Yeah so um yeah then I moved to um so I had a really kind of great setup but I, I decided I really wanted my own place and I was you know I was by that time I was an electrical contractor I had always been doing handyman stuff and learned quite a bit out there I was yeah. the super of a building without having to deal with a boiler you know things right. fix things and I uh, seemed to have this funny aptitude for electricity mm-hmm. and I had and I had Done the electricity of my in my uh, in the second renovation, just bought a little book and got you know, yourself. Yeah, so
1: so you were doing uh, that. as a day So job. I
0: started doing that, and I had enough money. So I'm going to take on an, another building, but and that that was a pretty bad mistake. But I went to Huron and McGinnis mm-hmm. in Greenpoint, yeah. and it's just really toxic around there. And then you have the. Um, So it's treatment plan right down the street. (laughs) But I was so intent on getting my own place and getting my girlfriend to move from Manhattan with me into there. So uh, so I was there for about, yeah, there was a studio shop. I had a nice, I had a wood shop. And uh, Foster, you know, really did a pretty good job of it. But, uh, and so that, that was going on for, uh, had that for about four five years mm-hmm. and then in 92 93 i um there was an opening at the uh, at that loft that i was talking about yeah uh, where i just left uh 319 bedford yeah and that was uh better yeah <laughs> much better
1: <laughs> a little less super fundy
0: yeah <laughs> yeah so uh but i've i've uh, and like we were saying before, I've been very. Uh, lucky. I put in my time though. I've yeah. renovated. Like, I don't know how many lofts, uh, but I've been very fortunate with my, studio, studios, right, and getting time to work. Yeah, and that's the which is a real gift to making yeah.
1: work. So, mm-hmm. what were you making at that time? Large scale paintings or yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I always liked large scale paintings. Uh, so by ninety two. Uh, I don't know, you know, this is print, uh, written out somewhere in a catalog, but by 92, I had kind of, I was kind of buying into, uh, I had always been like a, a color, uh, In, for instance, in grad school at Hunter, I was doing these, what would be called slow abstract expressionist paintings, very mm-hmm. slow, uh, my teacher said it's like Giorgio, uh, uh, Giorgio Cavallon. mm mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of a second-tier Abex guy, but um, they were kind of it,
1: composed in a way, like you as far as slow. Or they were just they uh, took slow a and in time. no
0: slow is in not this slap, right. slap. You know, huge paintbrushes, quick gestures of a dauning. Yeah, they were slow and considered, and so they still had a deep foot in the in the modernist, like you know the Matisse and the. But they were abstract paintings. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. color definitely color oriented, very saturated. And um, uh, and then, you know, I started to pay attention to the art world a little bit, and mm-hmm. I, and I was I was fascinated by this, um, you know, Peter Howey and his statements and the, the model, and then I, I of course in grad school I was exposed to all this theory, and um, you know the post structural. We were all obligated to read this stuff and make sense of the postmodern. Right. You know. And so um, uh, again, I was young and earnest, and wanted to wanted to give it a whirl. You were you taking it in. I, I knew where I stood and that I was not relevant except, that, you know, to myself in the studio. Uh, this idea of Peter Halley's of the painting as a model, mm-hmm. or and uh, actually, I think that's a title of a book, yeah. painting as model, right? So and then, um, so I started making these on. Uh, I kind of didn't drop it because I kind of slowly got into it. But I started making these black line paintings on white. Mm-hmm. And um, they look like um, like diagrams. And, they were but they're also like, minimal. They're also had these ref, strange references to minimalism like boxes. Yeah. And, and weird things like fireplaces and agendas and, and things that you would use... Uh, Things that you would look at, and and uh, later I, w- I came up with this idea of use value, mm-hmm. uh, something that you would interact with, you know. So was, and then the other side of that, I made yellow line paintings, which were uh, much more hard to see and ephemeral. Uh, so there, uh, so these ye- yellow yellow uh, yellow line and dash, dot, dotted lines and concentric squares. Mm-hmm. It was all very open and and uh, kind of a pl- more plastic and. Uh, uh, by that time, I had switched to acrylic. By the way, and there were uh, they had a, a, a kind of such a distance, and they were and they were seen as very conceptual. I saw them as kind of funny and cartoony. I wanted mm-hmm. them. I wanted more of an absurdist position. Again, I'm certainly somebody who works first and and comes up with a theory, Right. you know. Apply, yeah, you after. know, you have intentions, but it's really hard to keep an intention from A to Z. Uh, yeah. intention. But uh, but so so I came up with this, uh, what every young artist ought to have is a, a, quick statement about like what do you do, you know, mm-hmm. what's your art like, and uh, um, I had come up with this funny thing. I said. I'm. I'm making. I'm Philip Guston painting and Agnes Martin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Yeah. yeah I, I, mean, thought, I, I thought see, it was good. I want to see that painting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So all you got to do is look at small catalogs and yeah. see plenty of them.
1: Oh, no. I mean, like, if I'm hearing oh, that description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the paintings you're talking about. There's kind of like these thin line squares and rectangles that were layered or they would come up to the edge, right? Or yeah, sometimes. With, yeah. yeah.
0: And there float a lot of dotted lines yeah. and. But it was all um, it was all propositional. I loved the word at the time, mm-hmm. and and uh, I kinda looking back on it, everything sounds so trendy. But but the idea of a model, the proposition, anything but the real thing. It was an idea of right. a painting, you know. Yeah. And but at the time, I said, you know, I I got something here. This yeah. is not bad. This is a this is almost original, you yeah. know. Yeah. That was my big statement in um, in ninety one. I decided that this painting was, the painting I had just finished, which was one of those first ones, was of interest. And that I could maybe show. I never even, you know, thought about showing.
1: But this, wait, this is this during would been, or after grad school?
0: Oh, definitely after grad school. So it's after. Yeah. No, What's I finished grad school in '86.
1: But imagine that today, like someone thinking, like, "Oh, I wasn't even thinking about showing." Oh, after right, grad right, a Good point.
0: Good point. Yeah, these guys are, you know, like, already showing in grad yeah, school. Yeah, like
1: if you're not showing while you're in grad school, yeah, you're, you're failing. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Exactly. What an absurd statement. Yeah. Right. Uh,
1: That's refreshing to think that you're like, "Oh, wait, maybe I'm ready to show the, You know.
0: Yeah. So, and again, don't forget, I had a thriving electrical business at that time. Yeah. with Workers and, um, and so what sucked about that is, you know, you send your you send an application into into the New York Foundation for the Arts to get a grant mm-hmm. and say oh let me see how much money do you make this year. Oh I grossed to 100,000, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're going to get getting. one, <laughs> right? Yeah, we're going to that to you. You know, so uh better to hide. Yeah. That's some good advice. Better hide that money or don't don't pay taxes what whatever. <laughs> but uh so so I didn't I was active. I was very active, you yeah. know, doing other things. And uh, one thing I, I will say is that, uh, uh, getting back to that Williamsburg statement, is that the people who were there grouped together and bound together. Yeah. And it was a really tight-knit group. Everybody knew each other. And the studio visits, the sense of community was outrageously good.
1: So who are the people that you... Would we know some of the people that you were tight with? Uh, are they still around? Bruce
0: Millett was probably a, a pretty big influence. Uh-huh. But he, he showed at... Um, Holly Solomon a little bit uh, someone I didn't necessarily have access to but uh, I always admired was John Kessler Yeah. and uh, Ashley Bickerton was mm-hmm. was there uh, but uh, I just it, would see him in passing uh, let's see uh, um, there's my neighbor Rick Briggs and uh, my other neighbor Kristen Ordahl Rick Briggs shows uh, um, here and there uh, but uh, I'll have to think about that but but uh, but that was the. I'm forgetting some of the names. Yeah, I just but, did a,
1: a podcast with my old teacher Byron Kim last week. Oh yeah, uh, he was over. I think mm-hmm. he was. That's on the right. North you side. know, I think he was for yeah. a long yeah. time. He had a mm-hmm. studio over there.
0: Yeah, I think that was a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, let's see. What were you talking about? The uh, oh yeah, the, uh, that there was a sense of community. But by and by your work '93, uh, I had met people like Matthew McCaslin, mm-hmm. Bob Nickus, you know, yep. people that could would turn out to be help me, yeah. you know, and get, uh, meet people and of course I was the electrician of for uh, different galleries, you mm-hmm. know, but so so there's this kind of m- mixing going on. And uh, yeah, my first show in the back room was Danny Newberg, mm-hmm. whom showed Matthew McCaslin. And we had uh, spent a lot of time together because I was helping Matthew McCaslin with some of those early electric pieces. Mm-hmm.
1: Doing the electric, like basically? Yeah,
0: like he was helping me one time. He said, This is cool stuff. He's yeah. helping me on a job. It's like, I want to use this for. And then next thing I know, I'm traveling with him to Europe, uh, you know, <laughs> helping him connect these things up and yeah, build the installations. That was, that was fun.
1: That really bridges the gap between yeah. work and your yeah, other work. Yeah, I'll say, <laughs> uh,
0: and you know, and that was one of his big statements so when he was younger, is that you know this construction crossover, mm-hmm. you know, materials. And, uh, he's a wonderful man, yeah, uh, and a great artist. I, I, I admire him immensely. Um, yeah, I just saw him last two nights ago. Nice. But uh, so these are the kind of things that you know. These are the kind of things that happen. That uh, you know, it's kind of lucky, but also. You know, people notice you because you're, you're maybe making something interesting. You're maybe making some sense when you speak of art. You know? Yeah. So. So
1: you started showing those early line paintings.
0: Yeah. So by ninety, by ninety two, I had, it was in a two person show at uh, Ru- uh, Rubenstein it was called, mm-hmm. and that was kind of a, a big, huge break for me because people really saw that show, and that's when. The director Paula Cooper saw that show and saw three of these paintings. And looking back on it, I, was uh, that in Soho? Yes, yeah, it was. It was on. I think it's on Prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, Perry Rubenstein, I think, still has a gallery on Twenty Third. Yeah, uh, Diakono, the famous Mario Diacono is in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think he's just advising right now. But that I those paintings look good. I have to admit. And um, and. They were seen by Paula Cooper's director, mm-hmm. and they were looking for a group show with Stingle, Suzanne McClellan, and they were looking for a third. And so they wanted a diversity, you know, you can imagine Rudy Stingle's work. And yeah. So I think I was a good fit. Mm-hmm. And I had some relationship to minimalism, which I'm sure Paula and the gallery were kind of missing because they had such a great tradition behind, yeah. you know, with the with the Judds and the entrees. Yeah. So it was, you know, call it luck, call it whatever. It, 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 it somehow was a good fit. So Paula came over, spent hours there looking at old work and making sure I wasn't, you know, a one-hit, you know, right. wander kind of guy, you know, yeah. saw the development. and yeah. uh, Next thing I know, I'm in a group show with Paula Cooper. And then two years later, I'm represented by her.
1: And what year was that?
0: That, that would have been... 93 for the group show and 95 for I think January 96 I had my first one person show there. Yeah. So. Uh, um, so that was tough. I, I, I had a, my electrical business, so I was really doing double duty. I mean, every minute I've spoken. You just
1: me. working all that like the nine to five sort of thing. Yeah, and, come and, to then, studio and then and
0: then and, and, and try to buy some time off and. Uh, you know, knowing if studio visit comes up, you mm-hmm. you take the time off and.
1: Like, were you tempted to say, you know what, I'm going to put this electric stuff to the side here and, like, just focus on painting?
0: Um, or was it, it going so that well? Sim- it wasn't that simple. But, uh, you know, if you sold a painting for, for let's say, $5,000, you get half of that. Right? Yeah. So that would, pay, that would pay for a month, a month maybe two of your lean. Right. So then you just say no to a job or try to give it to a friend. You know you don't want to lose those contacts. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so I didn't give it up right. It wasn't just you know cut
1: cut and dry. Well, I guess too because you were working for yourself,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah, which is nice. Like if you. Yeah, and I didn't need any insurance at that time. There was these architects with umbrella insurance policies. You can get into buildings now. You can't enter a building without. Yeah, it's crazy. So it was just totally different landscape out there. But it it allowed. I'm just saying. I was. Uh, I did the work. Worked my butt off. But I was able to to do all this stuff mm-hmm. and still work um, still work on the paintings and. Uh, so that would have been yeah that would have been ninety five. And that was down on Wooster Street, not mm-hmm. at where we are sitting now. Yeah. 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 So.
1: And I know working on paper is a big part of your process. Back then, what were you doing as far as were you just were you making drawings? Were you doing books? Were you doing prints, or was that as a matter of not...
0: fact? No, no books by then. Mm-hmm. That, by the way, um, I don't know. I know we don't want to talk all day, but uh, that's a pretty interesting story—the book story. I'd like to yeah, talk about later. Definitely. Um, I was making these marker drawings on a- opaque acetate. Yeah. Just to make it, the, the drawings as twisted as the paintings. You know, kind of absurd, and and. A, Guess what? The marker faded. <laughs> so it's one of the, like these, like Richard Prince, you know, yeah. um, dissolving, uh, you know,
1: non archival.
0: <laughs> but they were they were kind of interesting. Well, and
1: plus it, it just glides on that, you know, that right. Yeah. That and they were they kind of
0: chunky and, and simple, but it was just you know marker, same yellow marker, and on uh, opaque acetate, which is a very interesting material. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever checked yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And uh, but. But uh, as you see this show now, uh, you, you can tell I've come a long way yeah, in yeah. the paintings, too, is now I'm into this total sophistication and everything. Uh, you know, you get good at stuff. Right, right. And then you learn
1: about, like, what holds up and the materials and the process and all that. Right? And when you're younger, you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to do this.
0: Yeah, and you know what bugs the hell out of me is, is you get these people, these you know, some guys that, you know the famous line, I like your early work. Right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. And don't even mention the. You, you can't play dumb. It, it, you get good at something. You know, yeah. it, it's just it really gets me. Yeah. So like, and you gotta and you gotta stay a- active and entertain yourself. What are you gonna do? Just dig in and say, oh, yeah, I'm gonna just d- pretend I don't know how to draw. You know. Right. Um, pretend I'm searching for something that I know I found by yeah. now. You yeah. Know, things like this.
1: Well, I think a lot of that too is nostalgia in a way. Like when people think, oh, your early work or whatever, it's just. It's also the time that you showed it, where you showed it. It's the good context. Point. It's good the point. feeling of that. Mm-hmm. It's not just literally if you put, you know, a 20-year-old painting next to a current painting, and they would think, "Oh, that one's way better." It, I think it's just right. the nostalgia. Right. Yeah. You know, like it's like that with music. You know, oh, the first record. Right, right, And right. a lot of times, the first record isn't nearly as good, but it's just because that was the first time you heard that band, and it really had an effect on you when you're
0: younger good and point it, you mm-hmm. attach memories to it so yeah. I think that's part of it oh I believe that yeah music's all wrapped up in memory yeah Yeah. like uh, when you come of age yeah you know
1: yeah and it's hell getting old you know like you like to reminisce about people like to reminisce about the old days
0: <laughs> yeah yep but uh um where were we? oh yeah drawing and graphics the um but I, I, I liked big things. I didn't particularly even like to do the drawings, but it was it was just it's just part of the job. You know, you you gotta produce something. Uh, yeah. But uh, so it was but you know, I did a lot of sketchbooks then, uh, a lot of drawing with pencil and, and coming up with ideas. And
1: were you doing that in the studio, or were you taking it around? Were no, you like I, a, I just
0: in my studio. I just yeah. I had not a lot of them, but right. uh, but pretty interesting stuff. And I used to scavenge through uh, mostly architectural books and, mm-hmm. and just draw facades and yeah you know think about ways of uh, of doing these paintings and what could work
1: so this was like almost conceptual sketching in a way too right yeah, just, it's like just uh,
0: different well, no just ways of um, uh, different ways that lines could be put together and, yeah. and and be you know vaguely architectural but also a model and you know just using uh, Using architecture, especially the facades, uh, mm-hmm. as as ways of, um, you know, maybe that's what led me to this more architectonic. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, about some
1: of the forms in the show up now. Yeah. Well, not only is there seemingly like an architectural approach to the way that you're building the painting with these stacked forms, whether you are or not, it just has that appearance, mm-hmm. and then there's also just visually this kind of structural. You know, kind of event happening within the painting. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that now? Like, I'm not too familiar with your sculptures that you're doing, but
0: there's sculpture. Well, I, I, I uh, <coughs> it's it's been quite funny. The um, I s- thought of them as propositions or props for for uh, the small room installation. I thought it was just going to be more a conceptual installation mm-hmm. with the with that orange painting, and there was another painting that didn't make it, and the two sculptures, and that was going to be the room. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, Paula came back. Um, she was uh, not in the gallery, but she came back and said, you know, let's get these in the big room. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, they're sculpture, as far as I can tell, <laughs> their sculpture so. Yeah. No, but uh, I have done a lot of building. I'm very handy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've also made um, at least... Eight installations of, of phenomenal uh, phenomena and, yeah. and uh, perceptual situations. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, I would be best known for these tape wall drawings, mm-hmm. which is not a new idea. You know, the Melbachners of the world, and uh, um, so I, I've have I've I've done things like I would call it site specific work. Yeah, you know. But these are autonomous. I mean, you could move them around, and yeah. so it is a little bit different. But it's not—it's it, not new. I don't think of this as new for me. But uh, one thing I should say about these "quote unquote" sculptures is that I had a the good fortune to do to do a collaboration with my sister. So I, my sister Lexa Walsh is also mm-hmm. an artist. She's mm-hmm. my youngest sister, and. Uh, and we did a, um, we had a collaboration. Me coming, uh, the the proposal was basically me coming from an interact interactive interactive perceptual position, mm-hmm. you know, like mandalas, you know, how yeah. you look at something. And I talked about agendas, you know, you, you would apply yourself and hopefully learn something or be a vehicle for something. And my sister would would and. Uh, um, Way would uh, from the other side would would represent interactive in this art as social practice Mm -hmm. and more community building and uh, more politicized. You know, that's what she had studied and especially interested in. And our proposal was to say, okay, we're going to, these two, both interested in this theme of interactivity, we're going to come together and see what happens, you know, and... uh, And uh, so one of her things was mapping the museum, uh, uh, you know, like a a kind of a. I think she was using the word a democratic hanging, uh, bringing out things out of the, out of the um, storage areas that would never see the light of day, Mm -hmm. and putting them up next to, you know, really polished, you know, iconic work, yeah, Yeah. like like old masters and stuff Mm -hmm. like this. You know, like damaged paintings with wax paper on them. Totally, it was was a good idea, but uh, but also vessels and objects. Yeah. So uh, I, I, uh, my conception or what I kind of ended up being my my project, my side of it, was I built, designed, and built five what I'll loosely call archetypal forms or Mm -hmm. structures or sculptures. That were would house, would were able to house some of this collection. Yeah. Needless to say, they had to be big, you know, so they could fit the. And the, so there were five. There was a, a, sphere, out of a. Um, they were specially made. Uh, Their planters uh, out of fiberglass, a sphere, a step cone out of out of copper and mm-hmm. mesh. Right. Which I will, uh, where I got this this, uh, cube structure from. And then there was a a, a, a mirrored and glass cube, and then there was a, 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 a what, I, what we call the ziggurat, but a step square pyramid, mm-hmm. and then there was a temple, uh, a classic uh, you know uh, temple from Greece or you know circular with a with a dome top, and so that's where I kind of that's where these sculptures are coming from is that I had just Done this and was it was kind of fun. You're in that mode, and we would yeah. stuff, and we put all that stuff in there. Uh, put all the each one had a theme. One was devotional. One was uh, utilitarian, like vessels. Mm-hmm. But the one in the step cone, don't forget that the step cone, they you had to cover it up because you didn't want st- anybody stealing anything or touching it. Yeah. You know the delicate object. So I covered it with m- copper mesh. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that stuff is expensive. But that was so <laughs> yeah. cool; it yeah. looks so good. And I said, "Hell, of I'm not going to do some yeah. more of this." And that's what led to that piece. Yeah, That's what led to this. Yeah, piece. absolutely. But I didn't want to. Uh, I I thought it was appropriate since it came about through conversations with my sister. Uh, with my sister, I didn't. If I wanted to do my own thing here, mm-hmm. uh, then I felt I had to do something else. Where and and that these are kind of all the ones at Williams College for in the category, Lexa and Dan Walsh. Yeah. So I'm kind of protecting that from, uh, we could have showed it, I guess, and put Lexa's name on there, but I want to do something else. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess in around uh, I guess I'm guess i saying that that's where these sculptures came from. I, I kind of didn't feel so uh, worried about w- where they stood in my,
1: in in your my work, earth, right.
0: and, you know, and things like this.
1: Yeah, no, it's funny because I think it's the first time that I've seen or at least that I remember seeing these larger objects Mm -hmm. it's usually I just remember seeing your paintings and books but it felt like it didn't seem out of place you know what I mean it felt Mm -hmm. like the paintings in a different way well I
0: chose I chose the subjects very carefully yeah Yeah. you can imagine Uh, but I knew they should have been like archetypal and relate to. if you didn't notice the paintings are really trying to trying to use some really basic language over and over again Mm -hmm. and, and not uh and have it be about structure and application and building.
1: Oh, yeah. I, and I see there's such specific music jumps into my head when I look at your paintings because hmm, there's really? like a lot of electronic music that slowly builds or has this kind of repetitive, mutating mm-hmm. sound to it, you know. But yeah. I'm sure you're not <laughs> listening yeah. to that. Yeah, and stuff here though. I am
0: saying that I listen to belly dancing <laughs> music. You can imagine. <laughs>
1: yeah uh, well didn't wasn't it a thing where um you know people assumed pollock was really into like free jazz or like you know right. expressive jazz and he's like listen to billy holiday all day oh, okay. and you just ex- you know he right. would Got picture yeah. I, yeah. I mean even uh the ornette coleman free jazz record has the pollock on the cover you just associate that kind of like boundless expression and like improvisation with like right. but he was listening to like billy holiday which i love you mm, know? that's good that's good <laughs> so, uh
0: I, I i listened to it all but uh
1: do you listen, as you work, do you listen to music? Yeah, or of course. You,
0: okay. Not all the time, but... Uh,
1: Some people are books on tape
0: or, like, podcast people. You know, I, I always wanted to get there. I just never did. Yeah, Actually, I don't either. Uh, I, I, this is a bit dating me and but the the record I listen to, you, you tend to, when you get into uh, heavy working, you tend to play, I tend to play the same records over and over. Uh-huh, yeah. And so one record I played for probably 20 days straight once a day is The Royal Scam by Steely Dan. Steely Dan? Yeah. Nice. That's actually a good record. Oh, yeah. But, well, they uh, were real big jazz guys. Yeah. Weren't they? Uh, uh, I would guess so. There's, yeah, they have a big video. jazz
1: influence on there. Yeah. So. yeah. But
0: uh, it's just, I don't know, don't ask me, it could have been anything right so well, Neil Young is uh, like a big favorite of mine too, yeah, yeah, uh, the Neil's just not upbeat enough for me right these days, you, know but I'm you liked for...
1: him yeah oh, sure man. sure yeah, yeah yeah, I just but, read uh, the book. I'm looking
0: for something that's moving quite a bit faster you right know? Um, so I like the belly dance it goes fast and slow, it has everything in it, yeah,
1: uh, I could give you some some pretty fast stuff that might connect with this <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll see if it's at all of interest, but yeah, it's funny because I feel like. A lot of times when I look at certain work, I get lost in some aspect of it. Um, maybe it's a narrative or a pictorial something. And then sometimes certain work just makes me think of music. And mm-hmm. these paintings make me think of, of uh, certain that's compositions and mm-hmm. music. And um, there's something almost like rhythmic. Well, I guess that's it. There's a, there's a real rhythm to them. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like... Maybe that's part of the reason that the too slow thing, too, doesn't work. Because if you're working on this pace in the painting and you're listening to something that's a different pace in the music, that would be kind of like, you know, dancing a certain way to a certain beat. It might just not work.
0: Mm. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, subconsciously, I, uh, I wouldn't think about it exactly like that. I don't mind a slow painting as long as it's good. And, mm-hmm. You know, how do you do, like, that that gray one, the Constellation, mm-hmm. that's a bit of a slower painting. Yeah. I was happy about that, mm-hmm. you know, it, uh, but I do like to, uh, you know, uh, get get charged, you know, get some really charged paintings yeah. going sometimes. You yeah. Know. Um, the thing you got to watch out for with someone like me and in in that I'm into this whole Morse code of putting pieces together is uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, decorative paintings lurking behind every corner. Mm-hmm. So you really got to kind of keep it together and, and manage that. And usually um, I... My natural instinct is to move toward a more of a, uh, uh, a sepia palette. You yeah. know, get into browns, and, and that way it's like toned down enough so I can still get get on with the form mm-hmm. and not um, and not make these too celebratory. You know, yeah, aesthetic paintings.
1: It's a little more organic, like a kind of like an earthy yeah. palette to it. Yeah, to me so. they they don't the decorative part. I guess doesn't enter into my consciousness when I'm looking to him much because I'm, because of that structural repetition, that kind of rhythm of it seems mm-hmm. to... Because if you look at a decorative pattern, you know, it, there's a rhythm to it, obviously, but it feels like it was a made rhythm, you know what I mean? Right, or right. it's something that preexisted. And I feel like the rhythms in your painting are organic and they're changing slightly and it's just that touch
0: right. that
1: makes everything different, but it's all working together for this collective image mm-hmm. you know yeah you
0: know people have said that before that oh all the pieces fit exactly together perfect and uh, one not one uh less or more would do and stuff like this i've mm-hmm. heard that said before it's kind of a nice compliment i guess yeah well the that perfection but then there's something
1: totally not perfect about how they're made mm-hmm. you know like you're revealing the hand in it right, and right. it's obvious that you're making it and certain you know, parts dissolve away and certain are really formed and you know, mm-hmm. that kind yeah, of... Yeah, I've been uh, using
0: this dry brush fade idea. Yeah. Yeah, you know that I, yeah. that I do that, right? Yeah. It's, it's, but one thing I um, people who do do know my work or know me well enough is, you know, like they always say, oh, you did it by hand. It's, you know, no tape. How did you do that? <laughs> people don't realize that how long tape... Using tape takes I, a heck of a long time. Yeah. It's like, I don't have time for tape. So it I does. just be really good, get it right, move on. Yeah. You know, I want to see things. I'm going to... I sit around all day taping that. I can't stand that.
1: I know. It's well, it's like printmaking. You know what I mean? Like if you look at a wood block, it just looks like a, a clean image, but it's such a process to yeah, that. Yeah. I you I've know. been printmaking, you yeah. know
0: that. Uh...
1: But I kind of like that idea of taking a long time to make something look quick.
0: Mm-hmm. You know okay. what I mean? I'm buying like, into that. Mm-hmm. And there's
1: like an architecture to the building of I mean, I use a lot of tape in my work and it's, it's really, for me, it's, all, it's really like a printmaking thing. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm building these areas that start to layer on yes. top of each other, and then you get these, like, little, kind of, like, lips, and, yep, and there's, yep. like, a... Know a, it well. It's a yeah. deep depth, but it's very thin, you right. know? But a lot of people will just see it and think, oh, it's just flat. It's like, right. not, not
0: really. Oh, that's, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, there's all these levels of people who look at your work, yeah. you know, the real painters and the, and the critics and the... But people notice things. Yeah, I will tell you that. Um, I don't want you to forget to tell me about the books. Oh yeah, but uh, I was—I thought I had one other thing to say about that tape. Uh, but um, but I. I um, yeah. Oh yeah. I was going to say that. Um, that I my thing. You say you make it look quick, even though you spend a lot of time with mm-hmm. it. My inversion would be. I work my. Making these paintings are really hard to do, but mm-hmm. I really like to make, make them look like they're just knocked off. You right. Know? Like, really easy. Yeah. Uh, but it, it takes an incredible amount, amount of concentration. you got to rest your eyes, you know. Yeah. You, you can only do it for, like, a few days a week of, of intense work or space it out over yeah. time. Little, so you can rest your chunks, eyes. Little chunks, yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the uh, artist books, there, there's only one here. Uh, since I moved to Long Island, I... Um, I, I've been averaging about two books a year for, I think I've done like 36 editions mm-hmm. now. But I, wh- why I wanted to, it's, it's a really kind of an interesting story, and I, I think it uh, would go a long way. I always encourage all artists to make, make books. Yeah, I think. It's
1: that, such a great. It's project. like
0: um, there's so many choices, and there's so many ways of, I don't like this word, but expressing yourself. Yeah. You know, you, know, you have the paper, you have the, Binding techniques, and mm-hmm. you have the image, um, of what uh, what the books are going to be, and you know, uh, a lot of people study bookmaking. They get way too caught up in the whole binding and the leather on those side, and yeah. The next thing you know, well, usually what you end up with is a blank inside. You know, yeah. they never thought about the progression of the book. They just made the book,
1: and it just looks like a book that was made yeah, instead of all like the
0: fancy bells and whistles. And yeah, that. but. Uh, But the story is, is that, so I am, I'm in Geneva with a friend of mine who is a, was, was, is a curator at MoMA now, but he used to be a Christophe Cherie. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was uh, the curator of Books and Prints at um, the Cabinet des Estampes, which is in Geneva. Mm -hmm. And... uh, and he had seen some paintings, and we become we had become friends. And I was showing with this uh, art in public in uh, Geneva, so uh, I'd be going there every year or two. And um, and I was showing him, and he was so smart and good at about catalogs. And I was showing, him, I was complaining to him, sorry, that I was going to do a catalog with this dealer from Cologne, and that I really since my paintings, those white paintings on the. The black lines on the bright white, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's really, really white. And um, uh, when you do a reproduction on laminated paper, the white of the paper is always whiter than the photograph. Right. And then it looks like the paintings are gray. You you know the Mm -hmm. same. Yeah. It's such a problem. You know, you can imagine anyone who makes white paintings is... So uh, the... Needless to say, the thing to do is you pan uh, I forget the word for it, you pan away and you, you f- pick up the, uh, you go to the edge of the page with the photograph and mm-hmm. get rid of all the, the white border and you show the floor, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. You give it like something else. There's a
0: word There's out. a word for it, you know, a bleed all the way to the end, yeah. I think it is. And I was saying to to Crystal, I was saying, you yeah, know, this is, this is not good for the paintings. I, I just, even with the bleed, it's, you know, I feel like doing, a, I, thought it'd be, I think it would be great if I could do some tip-ins, you know, like buy the paper and, and you know, the old style, yeah. to, you know, the tip-in yeah. with the glue, and, and then you could get the paper, have be off-white because it wouldn't be laminated, right. you know, it wouldn't be photo paper. And, and he had just started a small publishing house with his buddy Lionel, uh, Lionel Bovie, uh, and he said, you know, that's kind of a cool idea. I'll publish that book you know if you yeah. want to do it and one thing led to another and uh, after after much uh work and um i came up with this with this idea of hand painting my paintings in a book mm-hmm. that i would make or in a it's kind of a loose folio but it was a book that that wasn't bound and then uh so then it started getting interesting, and then and then on top of that, we, with letterpress, I designed some kind of architectural references where these paintings would sit. Mm-hmm. So there was this kind of inversion of the 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 the, archi- the lines, the letterpress lines, where it had a lot to do with what my paintings were. They looked like my paintings yeah. anyway, but they also doubled as once you put a painting inside, it doubled as an architectural reference. Mm-hmm. So this is a strange. Uh, Kind of inversion and um, inclusion of both both reads of yeah. uh, uh, ways of reading the work, two ways, and uh, and uh, so and then it was it was a little too ambitious. We did fifty two, and just to make my life harder, I decided to make each one different. Each one had different paintings, but they usually were grouped in in uh, like five locations, and then the paintings would. Then I had one book where the same painting is seen every time, you know, in different yeah. situations. It was, it was. I have to admit, it was really cool and yeah. really good. It and sounds that, like a hundred
1: times more work than the show.
0: Yeah, and I, I <laughs> and my hand was, you know, uh, 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 not working by yeah, the end. Yeah, right, I can imagine. But it was really clever, and uh, so, so there I am saying. Then I do another book, and so I, it led me into this whole cataloging my. Cataloging my own work mm-hmm. and making catalogs, then next thing I know, I'm doing these uh, embossed, embossed books where I made paintings, and they it's like a Russian doll; they sat inside each other. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, album? yeah. Um, the uh, and so I, I was saying, kind of as a joke, that my reproduction my handmade reper- miniature is a better reproduction <laughs> than the photograph. And right. it was, so it was kind of a little bit of a critique of the of the authoritative catalog with the massive book, you know. Yeah. Uh, the museums would put out and stuff. It, so it was it was kind of a, but that got me, those, that early book got mm-hmm. me into bookmaking. Yeah. And uh, only after about the 10th or 15th did I uh, start moving away from the idea of a uh, the catalog or the comparison of, um, of information now it's just anything goes yeah, do just doing what crap, you want to do you know, all kinds of things
1: it's just like an extension of your work now right yeah. You it's not so much the publication mm-hmm. but just you're making but, art in book form
0: yeah so um, you know I could it's just great to be exposed to different things like the succession of images you know um, complex things but you know, like I said in the beginning the book the books are you know, there's so many decisions to be made so, it's so much fun it's very complicated mm-hmm. you know uh, there's simple ways of doing it and there's uh, you know I like complicated yeah. <laughs> I don't know but uh,
1: do you still do occasional regular catalogs where it's just images no
0: although I, I do if I had time and money I do I am threatening to do another one of those with, the, with all the diptychs that I've ever done mm-hmm. oh, I'd love to do that but uh, basically, I have an assistant who helps me with the, uh, with the computer and feeding the information through a computer into the 4900 Epson. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a way of me continuing to do artist books and not, I just don't have the time. But it's been a it's been a really interesting journey. Did you see this new one out here now? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I didn't
1: look through it yet because I need assistance.
0: Oh right. <laughs> but uh, I did
1: see a couple pages because when I came in, it was on one page, and then I saw another one before we started. And yeah, but I was here. Yeah. There's
0: varnish on there. There's mica powder. It was kind yeah. Of that, strange that journey. Kind of like
1: it looks like like gunmetal shavings or something like yeah. that. Kind of metallic feel to it. Yeah. That
0: that that dark. A lot of those pages yeah, are dark, nice. so it lends itself toward there. So.
1: Those are white glove books.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that's an AP. I'll, I'll I'll show it to you.
1: Cool. Sounds good.
0: But um, they um they the gallery's obligated to treat it that way. Of course, I would not do that in my own studio. <laughs>
1: yeah, but did, over the course of a week with all the people coming in, nothing could be destroyed by
0: the time. <laughs> yeah, like at MoMA when I showed some books, I had to sign a waiver. <laughs> oh,
1: really? That, yeah. you know,
0: we cannot. We'll try, but right. we cannot take responsibility. Yeah. So. Well,
1: the show looks really great. Thank you. And um, do you have anything coming up, or is this pretty much, do you have some time uh, now?
0: We have, uh, speaking of Berlin, uh, they, I've been in touch with this guy Dan Gunn. Mm-hmm. You know who that is? I do. not he, He's, uh, I think he's, I think he's American, but he has a gallery in, in Berlin. And uh, maybe do a, uh, uh, maybe do a show there in the, in the uh, in the spring mm-hmm. and then in the fall, I have a show in uh, northern Belgium in Canucca with nice. Patrick De Brock uh, But my big news is that I have a traveling uh, survey, and uh, uh, well, we'll see where it travels, but it's going to originate in uh, Maastricht at the Bonafonten Museum. Mm-hmm. When so does that start? That's that's January 2019. Nice. So that's a kind of a, my big news.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. And just, so I think that's
0: it. Yeah.
1: And just painting, right? Out in Long Island. Yep,
0: yeah, yep. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, thanks so Loving much for it. taking all this time. It's been great talking oh, to you about a, the show. It pleasure. shows up at Paula Cooper. And when does it, how long does it run? Um, Until...
0: How long is this show run?
1: February, February 4th. February 4th. Great. Yeah, thanks. so everyone should come check it out. Thanks a lot. Thanks. of the artist's work, studios, and exhibitions on the podcast website, soundandvisionpodcast.com. The introduction, narration, and music was provided by Michael Lovett of Nazca Lines. All other music was made by Lulotone, based out of Nagoya, Japan. Sound and Vision is produced, edited, recorded, and organized by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find more about my work at paintchanger.com. Thanks for listening.